Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Before we get into today's episode, I will let you know my kid was singing in the background and also had a brief FaceTime conversation with my mother, so you may hear some of that in the background today. I do apologize. It's the joys of working from home and uh, trying to record things when your kid is home. Hello again. Welcome back. I hope you're well. It's still snowy as I write this, although it doesn't look like I'll have to shovel again for a few days. As this episode drops mid-March, who knows what the snow will look like by then. Today we have possibly the last of Seneca's tragedies. Not the last of his plays that we'll cover in this Roman tragedy course. I'm not sure exactly why I put it on the schedule at this point. I mean, sure, I could stroll back up through the 300-page document that is my script to find the first Roman tragedy episode, but where's the fun in that? Anyway, if you've already read today's play, you might have noticed that it has four acts, not the usual five. The fact that this play is structurally incomplete makes it seem like maybe it's his last play. What play? Right, I haven't mentioned the title since last week's episode, have I? Today's play is Phoenice or the Phoenician Women. It was probably written around 64 CE, but like all of Seneca's plays, we really don't know for certain. It is based largely on Euripides' Phoenician Women, but it also draws from Sophocles' Oedipus plays. Obviously, the title is drawn from Euripides. I am using the Ella Isabel Harris translation for this play. The play is set in Thebes, as you would expect from a play about Oedipus, and it features some characters that should be very familiar by now. Oedipus, Antigone, Jocasta, Polynices, and Ateocles. And of course, the usual unnamed messenger types. And the chorus? I bet you're expecting a chorus of some sort, likely comprised of the titular Phoenician women. Yeah, no. Sorry, there's no chorus in this play. There are no Phoenician women in this play. I said it appears to be unfinished. So, with that background, let's take a short break before seeing Seneca's take on the Oedipus myth. The play opens with Oedipus. He's long since discovered that he killed his father and married his mother and gouged out his eyes. We've reached the stage of his story where he is wandering, still accompanied by Antigone. He bemoans his life and speaks of how he is haunted by the ghost of Laius, a ghost he can see even through his blinded eyes. He urges Antigone to leave him to die, but she refuses, announcing that she'll never leave him. But Oedipus isn't done yet. He keeps begging her to let him die, to just bury him, which is interesting given what we know about Antigone's future, shall we say, issues around burial rites. He speaks for pages and even has the audacity at one point to say, I quote, why waste words, before speaking another 50 lines. And Antigone is still unswayed. Throughout the course of this conversation, we learn that Jocasta is still alive, that Ateocles has usurped the throne, and Polynices is on his way to Thebes with his seven armies. Antigone begs Oedipus to give his sons a good talking to, but he declines. A messenger enters and provides details of the pending war. He too asks Oedipus to return to the city and intercede. 
Oedipus again declines. He'd much rather hang out in the woods and wait for news to reach him. There are, as you should be aware by now, no stage directions, but this trio of Oedipus, Antigone, and the messenger must exit because the next scene starts with Jocasta at the city walls. So we've changed location from the woods to the city, and Oedipus and Antigone and this messenger never appear again, at least textually. Anyway, Jocasta compares herself to Agave, who you may recall from Euripides' Bacche as the woman who mistook her son for a lion and tore him to pieces with her bare hands. Actually, Jocasta thinks she'd rather be Agave because murdering your son isn't nearly as big of a crime as marrying him. Because just look at what it's wrought. Polynices has brought a huge army to attack Ateocles. She'll have lost all her sons if that comes to pass. Um, spoiler alert, Jocasta? Anyway, a guard enters and asks Jocasta to step in and tell Polynices and Ateocles that she's their mother and she forbids them to go to war with each other. Antigone enters and also urges Jocasta to do something, and fast, because it's stop the war or be killed by it. Unlike Oedipus, Jocasta does decide her sons need some parenting and practically flies to the battlefield. She gives Polynices and Ateocles a good talking to. They protest and whine, but they at least stop their fighting long enough to listen to their mother. Ultimately, Ateocles says that the price of imperial power is high, and that's the end of the play. That, it just stops. I kept flipping to the next page to try and find Act 5, but there is no Act 5. But let's save that discussion until after a brief break. Okay, this play is incredibly frustrating because, as I already said, it just stops. It's missing something, and by something I mean a lot of things. It's missing all of the typical elements of ancient tragedy in general, and Seneca's tragedies in particular. We're missing an entire act. We're missing a chorus. We're missing the typical blood and gore that Seneca so enjoys in his tragedies. And we're also missing the vast quantities of Stoic pontification that we found in the earlier plays. It's just incomplete. And that's likely the problem with this play, that it really and truly is incomplete, that Seneca never finished writing it. Some people have even suggested that it's actually fragments of two different plays that got smooshed together at some point in history. I'm not sure I buy that. There is a through line from the Oedipus section to the Jocasta section, and that's the discussion of stopping the fight between Ateocles and Polynices. And that is where this play has something to discuss. It may be incomplete, but we still get a sense of Roman values, particularly Roman family values. If it seems weird that a messenger goes to an exiled Oedipus to help stop a war, well, to a Roman audience, it wouldn't be that odd. Oedipus is the pater familias. We talk about someone being the head of the household today, but that really meant something in ancient Rome. Family structure was downright authoritarian, so if Polynices and Ateocles were well-behaved sons, they would do whatever their father tells them to, and Oedipus could stop the war with a word. But he chooses not to. We also see in Polynices and Ateocles a mirror of Roman history and the world in which Seneca lived. An emperor was lucky if he lived to die a natural death. So even when Jocasta does what Oedipus chooses not to, it seems pretty clear at the end of the play that her attempts at peacemaking are not going to work. 
So what do you think of this play? Pop over to the blog and share. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. I'm on Patreon as Triumvirclio, should you feel like supporting me that way. No pressure. In the next episode, we will cover book 11 of the Aeneid. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.